Welcome to Living with COVID-19, brought to you by A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. Today, we're going to be continuing a series called An Encouraging Word for Discouraging Times. This is a series that I preached several years ago out of 1 Peter. It was written for people who were going through difficult and hard times much as what we're experiencing during this time of COVID-19. So I hope these messages will be an encouragement to you. Open your Bible. Let's listen to God's Word together. Take your Bibles and turn to First Peter chapter 2. We'll continue our study of First Peter, encouraging words for discouraging times. Previously, we have seen that As the people of God, God has called us for the purpose of proclaiming His excellencies to unbelievers. We see that over in chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's called us that we might proclaim his excellencies. And the primary way we proclaim his excellencies is that we keep our behavior excellent in front of unbelievers, as we see in verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. And we have looked at this principle, and we've looked at the purpose that we have as the people of God. Now, we have previously looked at what it meant to proclaim the excellencies of God when it comes to living our lives in relationship to our government. And we saw that God has called us to be submissive to governmental authorities. And we also uh, realize that God's call on us is to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus set the example. He is the one that we follow. As you see over in chapter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. So in particular, we proclaim the excellencies of God as we live an excellent life in front of unbelievers. And in particular, as we live in suffering submission. As we live in suffering submission to authorities, this shouts the excellencies of our God because it is so different than the way the world lives. We saw last week what it meant to live in suffering submission to godless government. Today, we're going to look at another aspect of proclaiming His excellencies, of keeping our life excellent before unbelievers. Let me ask you a question. Where is the one place 
that you come more in contact with unbelievers than any other place. The one place that you come in contact with more unbelievers than any other place. Now, I hope you're not saying at home. (laughs) And I don't think it's at your social activities either because statistics show that once a person becomes a Christian within 18 months, they don't hardly have any non-Christian friends. You choose to hang out with Christians. But where's one place more than any other place that you find yourself among unbelievers? Is it not at work? Because you don't have much choice about who you have to hang around with at work. They're there. You're working there. They're working there. And so you have to be among them. And so I believe the greatest place that you and I can proclaim the excellencies of God by keeping our behavior excellent in front of unbelievers is at work. Because that's where you see more unbelievers than any other place. That's where they have more of an opportunity to observe your behavior than any other place. Well, that brings up the question, well then, what is the most effective way to be that witness at work? What is the best way to keep your behavior excellent at work so that they will see Jesus in you. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we will be looking in chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. So in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience sake toward God, a person bears up unto sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You may be seated. We're going to center our discussion around three questions this morning. First question is, to whom is Peter speaking in this passage? Well, he is speaking to Christian servants when he says servants. Uh, it's interesting the word he chooses for servants is not the usual word that the New Testament uses for servants which is a word that means a bond slave. But the word that Peter uses is more specialized, and it's a word that means house servants or house slaves. Now, in Peter's day, you remember that slavery was very prevalent, over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And so these house servants, many would be considered professionals in our day. They were managers of estates, some were doctors, uh, some were teachers, tutors. And so these house servants were those who were in the homes, who were working there, uh, who were, as we would consider, a special segment of their society. Evidently, there were many Christians who were serving in this capacity as house servants, so many so that Peter brings them out as a special group and addresses them in this letter when he says 
servants. And so originally he was speaking to Christian house servants. But I believe by implication today he's talking to workers. Any of us who work in an environment where we have supervisors and where we have bosses, we can legitimately apply the principles of these verses to our work situation. So that's who Peter is addressing. Now, second question. In what way are we to keep our behavior excellent at work? What is our greatest testimony at work? And, of course, what we're going to see, it is not so much our words as our lifestyle, as the way we live. First of all, we are to submit ourselves. Peter says, servants be submissive. Now, this is the same word we saw last week when we saw the word submissive, submit. And you remember, it is a military term. It literally means to arrange under. It's the prefix under and the word arrange. So it's to arrange under. It means to place yourself under the direction and leadership of another person. Again, as we said, there's probably no better illustration of this word than in the military where there's a very clear order. Everyone knows where they fit within that order. Everybody knows who is under them and who must listen to them and everybody knows who they are under and who they must listen to. Very clearly defined. And there's a reason for that. Because it makes it very efficient. If an organization is going to run efficiently, it must have a clear structure of order or a clear structure of responsibility so everybody knows where they are to be and what they are to do. And so Peter says that in the workplace that the worker is to submit, to arrange themselves under proper authority to bring their abilities, their talents, under the direction of their supervisor of the proper authority. Remember, this has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. For you to submit to someone does not mean that you're saying you are inferior to that person. Jesus willingly submitted himself to his parents. Read over in Luke 2. As a child, he submitted to his parents. He was in no way inferior to them. Also, as we saw last week, this verb is in the middle middle voice, which means that the subject is acting upon himself. You are to willingly submit yourselves. You're not to do it under compulsion. You're not to do it because you're commanded to do it. But you are to willingly be submissive to place your abilities at their disposal. And we are to submit to our bosses. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters. Now, that word master is the word that means absolute owner. In fact, we get our English word despot from that word. And so he's speaking to those of us who have supervisors, who have bosses. And so he says, God's design for you to live excellency in an excellent way at work is for you to submit to your bosses. But then he adds something else. 
We are to submit to our bosses with all respect. Now, this is exactly the same word that he uses a verse earlier that's translated fear. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. And then the next verse he says, be submissive to your masters with all fear, with all respect and reverence. Now, what's Peter saying? He says, fear God. Then he says, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Is he saying that we should reverence and respect our boss like we reverence and respect God? You think he could be saying that? Notice he says, with all respect. With all fear. I think that's exactly what he is saying to us. That we are to submit to our supervisor, to our boss, with the respect and reverence that we give God. Now you may be reacting very strongly right now thinking, well, no way. You don't know my boss. Well, I think when we understand the biblical principle of delegated authority, we'll see that, yes, this is right. When you realize that no authority exists except God has placed him or her there, then if you resist that authority, you're resisting God. If you submit to that authority, if you show reverence and respect to that authority, you're showing it to God. You remember last week over in Romans chapter 13, remember what we read, what Paul said, And I want to call it to your attention again over in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. Paul is writing about this subject of submission. Every person, I think that would include us, don't you? Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. None. Your boss is there because God has placed them there. Your supervisor is there because God has placed them there. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Man, that's strong, isn't it? Did you know the Lord Jesus also understood this truth? Over in John chapter 19, when Jesus was placed before Pilate, that godless man, Pilate, that Roman ruler, when Jesus was placed before him, there was a conversation that Pilate had with Jesus when he was asking Jesus to basically defend himself and say he was innocent and Jesus was silent. And let's look at this conversation, beginning in verse 10 of John 19. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you? 
And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. And for this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus said to Pilate, You think you have authority over me? And you do, but you only have it because God has given it to you. Jesus understood the principle of delegated authority. And when you and I get a grasp of this truth, then we will clearly understand that, yes, God is calling on us to reverence and respect our supervisors as we reverence and respect Him. You see, God has set up four authority structures in our society. You have the authority structure of home, and there's a clear structure of authority there. And Peter's going to address that as well. You have church, and there's a clear authority structure in the church. And Peter's going to address that in chapter 5. And then you have the authority structure in government. Peter addressed that last week. And then the authority structure in the workplace that we're looking at today. And God has placed His authorities in each of these three institutions. And those authorities are there because God has placed them there. And to fail to respect these authorities is to fail to respect God. And that brings us to the next point. Biblical submission involves actions plus attitude. Actions plus attitude. You see, you can be submissive in your actions, but not in your attitude. You can do what your boss says, but man, you're grumbling the whole time. You're resenting it the whole time. So you must not only be submissive in your action, but you must also be submissive in your attitude. God commands both with all respect. Now, do you gripe about the way God deals in your life? Then you shouldn't gripe about the way your boss deals in your work situation. Do you complain about God? Do you show disrespect toward God? then you should not show disrespect toward your boss either. But treat him with respect and with reverence. You say, but preacher, (laughs) you don't know my boss. I do know Jason's, but you don't know my boss. You just don't know how un unreasonably is. And, you know, they just put him there. He's just out of college. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's still wet behind the ears. He's got to be kin to somebody who's involved in the ownership of the company because there's no other reason they put him there. He's just totally incompetent. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I've been here for years. I've been working my way up through the ladder. You just don't know my boss. Well, the Scripture says, Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 
Now, the good we don't have a problem with too much. And that word good, we saw it last week. It's agathos. We get the name Agatha from it. And it means good-hearted. It means intrinsically good and gentle. That means a mild disposition, fair in understanding. Not insisting on the letter of the law, but a boss that says, yeah, you know, I understand your situation, and let's just do the best we can do in this situation, and if it's not exactly right, you know, we'll come back and we'll work on it again. But I know you need some time, and I know that I'm expecting a lot, but we can do this thing together. You know, the good, understanding, reasonable boss. You don't have quite as much of a problem being submissive to him, do you? To being respectful to him. But he says not only to those, but to the unreasonable one. Now, if it wouldn't be a violation of Scripture, I would ask you to raise your hand, all of you that have unreasonable boss. But to ask you to do so would be asking you to be disrespectful, and I wouldn't want to do that. But I've heard enough conversations of late to know that more than one or two of you in here consider your boss to be in the category of unreasonable, not of good and gentle. Now, this word unreasonable, the Greek word is the word scolios. We get our English word scoliosis of the spine. You know what that is? Crooked. And so it's a crooked boss. And it's the idea of one who is unfair, one who is over-demanding. One who is never satisfied. No matter what you do, it's not enough. And then he makes mistakes and wants to blame you for them. Ever had one of those? So it is these unreasonable. It's the idea that that the masters were unfair and they were over-demanding. And they insisted on the letter of the law. The situation was that many Christian servants were in houses where their masters were unbelievers. And the masters had their faces dead set against them. Because these Christians' lifestyles were very convicting to these pagan masters. And so they would retaliate and they would mistreat them. And they would treat them cruelly. You see, righteousness always reveals sin and nobody wants to see their sin. And so the master tried to provoke these slaves by unjust treatment. Try to get them to act like unbelievers so they could feel better than the masters could about their own sinful behavior. But when the servants did not react as the world would react, but reacted in submission and respect, what a testimony. Maybe you've had a boss that resented your Christian lifestyle. Your holy living caused a reaction in them. And therefore, they made unfair demands and unreasonable demands upon you. But what are you to do? God says you are to submit with all respect. Submit with all respect. When you do that, you are shouting forth the excellencies of of your God. Now remember, submission is absolute. Obedience is conditional. And I have to say this because there's always somebody sitting there thinking, well, what if my boss tells me he wants me to steal something or he wants me to cheat or he wants me to change something on the records to make him look better? Well, 
Submissively, you have to say, I cannot do that. Submissively, you have to disobey. If you're asked to do anything against the law or against the principles of Scripture. Okay? But I probably don't think too many of your bosses are asking you to do that. So that's kind of the extreme situation. But if you run into that, you submissively, not in rebellion, rebellious attitude, but you submissively say, you know, I really can't do that. Now, if you've got to punish me and write me up for that, go ahead. But I just can't do that. That is against company policy. That's against the law. That's against what the Scripture says, and I've got to obey the Word. But what about those things that are not against Scripture, not against the law? You just don't want to do them. You just think it's not fair. You just think it's not reasonable. You are to submit with all reverence and respect. Brings us up to the third question. What results can we expect from our submission to bad bosses? In verse 19, he says, for this finds favor. That word favor is literally the word grace. This is grace. When we submit to unruly and unreasonable bosses, this displays God's grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is when we do more than what is expected. Grace is when we go beyond the ordinary course of what might be expected. We go beyond that, and therefore it is commendable. Grace is being Christ-like. Jesus was full of grace. And when you are submissive to bad bosses, you're being Christ-like. You remember the example of Christ. He submitted to godless authorities. And He did so that He might be an example for us that we're to follow in His footsteps. Now, Peter defines the submission that will display God's grace. The type of submission that will be Christ-like. He defines that. First, it's a submission that's done for the sake of conscious toward God. I think that means that we are conscious of our relationship to God. We are conscious that we are a child of God. We are conscious that we are a witness for God, and therefore we submit to our bad boss because we want to be a witness to the love of God. So we submit because we are conscious of our relationship to God and how He's called us to live a life of suffering submission. It is also a submission that bears up under sorrows when we're suffering unjustly. Now that word bears up under literally is carries the load from underneath. The idea that we're under the weight of unjust treatment. Sometimes you feel that oppression at work, don't you? Like you're just going under the weight of it. That the boss is just coming down on you, that he's just looking at you and just waiting to find something wrong. He said, when we endure, when we actively submit to these cruel bosses, it's going beyond what is expected. It's going beyond the normal course of action, and it displays the grace of God. 
it displays a Christ-like life. It is commendable in God's sight. But then Peter says, there's no display of grace if we suffer justly for our sin. Verse 20, for what credit is there if when you sin and you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? In other words, if we suffer for sin and we patiently endure it, what merit is that? You're just getting what you deserved anyway. And this word harshly is literally to hit with the fist. And it was used of Jesus when the Roman soldiers hit him with their fist in his face during his crucifixion. So Peter says, look, if you're harshly treated because you've sinned, hey, you're just getting what you deserve. It has no merit at all in enduring that with patience. If you're acting up at work and you're being disobedient and you're coming in late and you're being lazy and you're not doing the job you need to do and then you suffer for it, hey, there's no credit in that. You're just receiving what you should receive. But if you do what is right, he says, and that word right is that word agathos again, what is good, what is intrinsically good, And he's talking about living in submission and respect and honor. If you do what is right and then you patiently endure suffering, if you remain steadfast under the pressure of suffering then, now that finds favor with God. That pleases God. That brings a smile to the face of God. All right, let's take stock for a moment. What about your life? Is your attitude toward your boss one that honors God? Now just put yourself, your supervisor, your boss. What's your attitude toward him or her? Are you submitting to them with all reverence and respect? Are you displaying a Christ-like life? At work? Are you proclaiming His excellencies? Are you proclaiming the gospel of Christ by the way you live at work? And particularly in your relationship to your supervisor. That's where God says it will be proclaimed the loudest. Let's pray. Father, we know it takes grace. Oh, it takes your spirit to enable us to live like this at work. It is not in our own selves that we can do it. But you promised us the grace that we need through the power of Christ, our example, to live with respect and submission in the workplace. May we look to you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.